Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with Josh Benici from the Benici Law Group. Really excited to have him today. Uh, This is another series of the fastest growing law firms in America. Uh, Josh was able to accomplish a 789% growth over the last couple of years, super impressive. And, you know, he's practicing a couple different uh, stripes of law that a lot of people are interested in, like personal injury and social security disability uh, litigation. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say today. So um, thanks for being on the show, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. So we kind of gave the uh, the baseball card overview of, uh, but it's always good. We like to start off with kind of a background story of how you got to where you are today. During law school, I got all of my experience in a personal injury law firm down here in Southern California. Worked there for about three and a half years. Ended up leaving there, took a job with a marketing company. I was the only attorney on payroll there, and we actually worked exclusively with lawyers selling legal marketing. Worked there for about a year, gained a bunch of different insight and business development ideas. Started my own practice at the end of 2012. And uh, yeah, I'm actually celebrating seven years my own practice here at the end of uh, October. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting background. You don't hear a lot of a lot of people who, um, well, obviously you're a JD, but the thing is, uh, from coming from a background of marketing, it usually seems to be one of those things that people will pick up later in their career. So that must have been a definite advantage to having a quick start in, in the practice. I, I thought it was. I really, when I opened my practice, I tried hard to not make it like a firm, um, but really aim it as a business that happens to practice law. Um, because I, I heard a stat, I don't know if it's a stat or just a fact, a while back saying that law firms fail but businesses succeed. So I've always kind of had my mantra being at, okay, our good is legal services, but we have to kind of look at it as a churning business, even though we're not selling widgets. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah, no, that's a great mindset. And I would say uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I've never heard that quote before about businesses succeeding and law firms failing, but Given a lot of the advice that I feel like people are getting in law school these days, it, it kind of jives. People seven years along the journey probably aren't at the same trajectory that you are. I feel like most people end up paying the shingle, kind of doing the referral thing for a while, and then kind of gradually slowing up. So could you take us back to, you know, right after this time where you left the marketing company to, to open up the firm, what kind of stuff were you doing to get your first cases in the door? Well, I, I started using a lot of the contacts I made in the marketing business because I was mainly working with attorneys. So I kind of reached out to a lot of my Southern California contacts, started doing a little bit of contract work with them, mainly in, on the disability and injury side, and then just started networking my butt off. That's kind of where got me where I, where I was when I left the marketing company was just kind of my grassroots, getting to know different attorneys and whatnot. And I just started um, having lunch and coffee with any attorney who would listen to me for 20 minutes, join a bunch of different uh, networking groups, and just tried to be the lawyer that everyone knew and liked and, you know, tried to kind of foster those relationships um, on a personal level. I'm, I'm kind of a people person, so I really wanted to foster those relationships into business and referrals, and then things just started growing from there once, you know, the feet were hitting the pavement every day. I was probably at 
a networking event three times a week or so for a while, just getting my name out there, getting experience with my elevator pitch, and you know, really focusing on finding power partners for probably the first at least two and a half years. Yeah, so a lot of work, but it ended up paying off, it seems like, in the end. And I think it's kind of interesting, and um, tell me if this is right or not. I mean, if, you're, if you were working with people that were retaining the marketing company, the attorneys that you were probably networking in those early days were probably a couple steps up than your average guy would find at a BNI, I'm guessing. Yes. So um, most uh, the marketing I was selling was selling for tens of thousands of dollars per campaign. So I was working with everyone from the solo practitioner who has a very well-established you know business and been doing it for 30 years, or the 50 attorney law firm, you know, really across the nation that you know a billion dollar business i was able to kind of glean some information from them see what worked see how they thought see how they um kind of processed you know marketing case retention going from you know lead to intake to case to um to either settlement or uh judgment and trying to put all those things together and um you know making the connections that i thought i needed to kind of get started here um down in southern california yeah. So basically you had not only sort of a case flow that was coming to this, but also a bit of mentorship and some of these things that could take other people decades to figure out. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, there's, I mean, there's still mentors that I reach out to now that, you know, I, I, I jokingly say I dedicate part of my practice to them because they've been so instrumental and, in, you know, just helping me get my feet under me, um, help me take some risks every once in a while. And, um, you know, kind of, let me know that I'm not alone and just weird things happen, you know, when you're dealing with clients or marketing and just kind of keep that upward trajectory and focus. That was a huge help for sure. Yeah. Just to kind of put a little parenthetical on that too. We, we recently just did an interview with uh, our John Robbins from how to manage a small firm. And he said, you know, one of the most important things for, for leveling up your business and law practice is make sure the people that you're talking to are at the level that you want to be in five or 10 years. You know, you don't really end up of getting that perspective shift from people that are on the same level. So it looks like you did that pretty well. Now, as far as uh, getting cases go, um, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, all I was going to say, it's, I mean, that's 100% right. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask is, if you were to start all over and you were in my position now, what are three things that you would do with all the knowledge you have now in, you know, case acquisition, in client retention, and just, you know, the business side of opening a law firm? And it's always interesting to hear what people have to say. Oh, so that's actually, so that was a question that you like, you like to ask people. My mentors, definitely. Yeah. When I, when I sit yeah. down with them, you know, with 25, 30 years of experience, okay. You know, looking backwards, what, um, you know, what would you have changed? What would you have done differently with the knowledge you have now? Um, yeah, it's kind of, interesting. that's actually a show. Um, we've actually asked that question on the show a couple of times too. So it's, it's funny. I think that that's like a really powerful question. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> like a great minds, hopefully. But um, okay, so you know, you, you got this point where you've got a lot of uh, you know these connections. They've been working super hard to foster, and you know, I know uh, you know one of the big areas that you work in is personal injury law. And I can, I you know, I know San Diego is a super competitive market. So, what are you doing to get people to refer you cases instead of keep the cases in house or refer to somebody who might be like you know ten or twenty years ahead of you? Sure. Um, you know, the big thing that I try to do and my, my belief on this is people send cases to people they like and they trust. Right. And, um, you know, I could probably tell you that I'm probably not the smartest, uh, personal injury attorney in San Diego. I, you know, I, 
Um, I do okay for myself, but you know, there's there's guys here that have been litigating cases for 40 years, and they're phenomenal attorneys, and I'll never take that away from them. But if I can be first of mind for someone that they like and trust, um, you know, that's where I feel confident that I can get cases from other attorneys in town and other professionals. So, um, you know, that, that that's kind of the big thing that I rely on. Um, and differentiating myself and how I handle clients, you know, they get my direct extension and email um, from the start. So they're not, you know, going through gatekeepers and coming through me. So I have that, that personal touch with clients. And um, I think those are two main reasons why people tend to send business to me, um, you know, amongst others. Yeah. And it kind of this is this is something that's come up on on some previous episodes and i think there's kind of a dilemma because i think i feel like a lot of people can kind of get stuck at the networking phase of expanding their business because let's say you're going to those two three networking meetings a week and you know you're collecting you know let's call it five or ten business cards every single time and some of these are valuable contacts but you, know, you continue to go to these different meetings and it kind of seems like you know there's this this growing growing pile of people that could potentially refer you so what ways have you thought about that that end up having you know allow you to to kind of get these uh these organized in a way that allows you to stay on top of these relationships identify the best ones and make sure that this is working for you the first two or three years of my practice you know i went out and i did the business card collecting and i'd email people and let's meet for lunch and everything and, and what i ended up doing is starting to kind of weed down people whom i connected with whom I thought had just a, a traditional, what I like to call power partner relationship, where you know they regularly see people who are ready to be clients of mine or you know going to be or whatnot, and kind of weed those down. And then as I got busier and I my time was more valuable, I would st- tend to focus on those people who are already sending me business or well-established type of power partners. So a great power partner for us right now is a workers' comp attorney who doesn't handle personal injury, right? They're seeing clients who are are, um, undergoing treatment for an injury, and that could turn over to either a personal injury case or it could turn over to a disability case. So now I may, you know, gravitate towards those people rather than the loan officer down the street who's probably a great person and probably talks to a lot of people. But, you know, what my, my Rolodex, I want a little bit more full and be a little bit more picky with people whom I think have more of a direct relationship with clients that I see and kind of the tried and true power partners I already have. So now if I go to just kind of an open networking event, I'm usually not really looking to meet a whole lot of new people. Um, I try to find the people I know, and that kind of reminds me who they, who I am, you know, what I do to stay top of mind. And then I'll usually ask them for warm invites at that event to other people that they know and like and trust. Because then I've got a warm invite. I don't have to worry about kind of cold calling a business card. And, you know, if there's kind of synergy there, then I, it's an easy thing to follow up on because we already have a mutual contact. It's been nice. I don't have that big stack of business cards on my desk anymore from events. Normally, it might just be one or, you know, information I just personally exchange because I, I think it would be a good uh, relationship to have in the business. So you're going, you're going deep more than broad. Correct. Um, be, right. So I tend to look for, you know, a handful of different people, either personalities or professions, and um, try to weed away some of the business card pushers anymore. 
um, and try to go deep with those people. Because in my mind, if I've got five people who are committed, know me, um, understand how to send me business, I don't have to constantly remind them or teach them how to send me clients, that's going to pay more dividends because I can almost leave them for a couple of months at a time without constant touches and running them who I am, you know, without them sending me people. I just got a referral this morning for a uh, trip and fall and a fracture locally here that I haven't, probably haven't talked to this attorney in a couple of months. You know, he emailed me, made the introduction, and basically told me I was the first person he thought of. But I've been have a business relationship referral-wise with this attorney for probably five years. Um, but I know that what I've done in the past is solidified because um, he thought of me right away without even seeing him for several months. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, evidence to the, the fact that this approach is working. So uh, switching gears a little bit. So, you know, we were kind of gotten through the early days where we were getting a lot of this, uh, you know, the cases coming in and stuff like that. So um, let's talk a little bit about when you started to expand the firm. So what point did you decide to start hiring out? So I decided to hire my first assistant and what I thought was three months too early because I knew that hiring someone and teaching them my systems and getting them plugged in was going to take a little bit of time. And I, I knew that I didn't need them right where I was sitting, but looking at kind of my, my ledger of cases that I was going to need people coming up, I had cases in litigation, discovery that I needed to take care of. Um, and so I hired somebody very beginning of 2013, um, a little earlier than I thought I would need them, but I got them um, ready to go, set up, and um, I was able to delegate a lot of administrative um, things to them so that um, it could free me up to just continue to go rain make and you know focus on clients. Um, I hired, let's see, so from there, they had to, to leave, I hired another person in their place whom uh, in 2014, who now actually works for me as an attorney because they were in law school. So um, she's been with me since 2014. Um, and then I hired an assistant to replace her. Um, she then graduated to be kind of our paralegal office manager. One um, of my law clerks passed the bar, um, he brought him on, and then we just recently hired a new assistant. So we're a team of five now, uh, beginning of the year. So. Um, it's been a little bit of a rapid growth model, but um, kind of with, with the number of cases that we have coming in and the, the load, um, it, it's, it's working out fine right now. The budget's crossing off, and um, you know I think we're I think we're set for a while. I don't I don't think I want to grow anymore. Um, I think we found out kind of our, our good spot right now. Yeah, I, well, it's it's kind of interesting. We also had a, a recent podcast with Mal. Molly McGrath is a hiring and uh, hiring consultant. It was, just, I mean, it seems like you kind of hit the, hit it right out of the gate as far as hiring the people that, that were supporting your sort of zone of genius. So basically, I mean, more or less you've been growing the firm in a direction where you can focus on the rainmaking, meeting those power partners, getting more cases into the door, right? Right. That's always kind of been my goal is to be, is to be that attorney who's kind of, not, not necessarily behind the scenes, but focusing on what I think I do well and what I enjoy. Um, handling a handful of cases, you know, that I um, that I want to handle. The majority of them are being handled by my associates, whom I look over. And my focus is on just, you know, that constant influx of of leads coming in, screening clients, so that once they're in, they're here, and they get, you know, the same level of service that I would provide them through people I've been training since the beginning. 
Yeah. So um, let, uh, let's talk a little bit about intake. So um, this has certainly been something that's been happening a lot on the, uh, the case fuel side. So our business, where we're working with attorneys a bit as well. Um, one of the things that we've seen is that um, a lot of firms are you know, seeing a lot of slack being picked up and potentially tightening up their intake process. So I know it seems like you guys have a really awesome uh, system going on, whatever it is. So um, what's kind of the situation for when a lead ends up coming to the firm? I mean, obviously, you know, you have a lot of stuff to do, so I'm guessing you're not taking this personally, but what usually ends up happening when somebody's calling the firm? Well, um, we actually have a dedicated cell phone where new clients um, call in. So when you call our main number, um, you know, it says, if you're a new client looking for a free consultation, please dial extension 111. When that phone rings, whoever is kind of holding that phone answers, puts down whatever they're doing and answers the phone so that we don't have to worry about chasing any leads back. Um, and then we pretty much have a normalized intake system that we do to kind of um, evaluate the case, what type of case is it, how does liability look, you know, we have our, check mark, you know, our checklist that we go through. That usually takes about 10 minutes to try to keep it short and sweet. And then if it's one of the attorneys who are handling the call, usually it is, um, then they pretty much have discretion on whether or not they want to bring that person in, sign them up over the phone or whatnot and get it started. We try to keep everything within that initial call if we can. Um, ideally, we schedule them to come in that day. Um, my entire staff have uh, control of my uh, my calendar, and they can make appointments for me if it's open. So if someone, if I'm on the other line, someone's taking the call of a new client, they realize it sounds like a good case, um, they have the freedom to put that PNC on my calendar during an open spot for that day or the next day to get them in so that we can get things rolling. They give me the intake, I review it, and then usually have a follow-up call to make sure they're coming in, and new client comes in, and you hopefully sign them up. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how that's come together. And for anyone who's kind of taking notes, you know, if growth is a priority in your law firm, um, you know, you have to do what Josh is doing right here. Because if, you know, you're, you're kind of reading between the lines here and it seems like the priority is really here. So if anyone is has the ability to take a call, you're getting them on the phone with an attorney right away. You're prioritizing getting everything done from an intake perspective and you're getting them in the office to actually close the deal, which is something that I feel that so many people end up missing the mark on. And, um, you know, ultimately it leads to less business. So, you know, if, if, um, if people say the priorities of growth, you got to put your money where your mouth is and, and make it actually a priority over other things. I mean, speaking as far as the systems and processes as well, it seems like a lot of these things are pretty dialed in for your firm, Josh. So um, can you tell me how you sort of built these and transitioned from the point where you were handling this all and like you know, growing this to a team that seems like it's running like a well-oiled machine today? Well, you know, I, I, I read a bunch of uh, marketing and business building books, and um, I mean, I think there's, a, there's an easy consensus out there on, you know, the more things that you can process down and procedurize, which, you know, I think I've, I'm probably making up a word, but I'll, I'll hold on to that. Um, for each part of your practice, I think is going to just pay dividends. Um, I started making lists on, okay, when I do this, this is how I would want intake to be done. This is how I want a closing letter to a client after we settle a case to read and to feel and to see. This is what I want our welcome packet that we send out to, to kind of uh, shock and awe new, new clients, how I want it to look, how I want it to read. And so once I put that into you know, a, a one-page procedural um, list, then hopefully if we've got somebody who buys into our system, it's happening the same every single time and it's kind of foolproof. 
um, right when we brought on our, our fifth employee, um, she came on, didn't have any uh, legal experience, which sometimes I actually like for when I'm hiring an assistant. And we were able to plug her in with our procedural kind of handbook. And within two weeks, she was doing almost everything we needed her to do um, because she knew how to do it because she knew exactly what her um, what her position tasks were, how to do these things. So when I came up and I handed something to her and said, hey, here's a settlement check. I need a letter with a you know, delivery um, to client. They know exactly what that means. They have the template in their system. And all I have to do is sign off on the letter and it goes out. So... Um, yeah, that's been one of the biggest I, I, important. Yeah. So when you mentioned a couple of books, would you mind, what are your favorite books around the subject or anything else that you found valuable? Um, the duct tape marketing book. I really liked this. It's definitely not aimed at, uh, lawyers, but, um, I think, you know, like I said, I, I try to look at my, my company as a business, right? I, I enjoyed the e-myth attorney book, of course. All right. And then the second thing too, is that, you know, I'm also kind of noticing as, as we go through this story, I'm not hearing about too many people not being a good fit for the firm. So it seems like you might've hit on something right as far as the hiring process goes to get these people that are more or less ready to rock in two weeks, like this example you had. So is there anything you can share with us as far as how you're finding these people, the, um, the hiring process you're using or anything to, to get like a you know, solid team on, under you? Well, I've been really fortunate with the team that I've built. Um, the two attorneys I have, um, were working for me either as an assistant or a clerk for about two years prior. So um, I knew their work product. I knew their personality. We'd already kind of worked as a team to begin with. So those were kind of nice, easy shoe-ins. Um, when I hire assistants, those are people that I, have, I really have no relationship with. But um, I focus when I'm hiring an assistant who's not doing heavy legal work um, based on personality. And that's um, kind of two reasons that I focus on that. Um, the first is I want them to gel with the team that I already have going, right? They can be the smartest and brightest person ever, but if they're not getting along with some of the other attorneys in my office, um, they're, you know, being a cancer here, then, it, you know, what good is that really doing? Um, and second, um, you know, I, I try to have – I try to mimic how I would handle – and deal with clients on a, on a personal basis through my firm. So I want someone who's going to be compassionate. I want someone who's going to be um, a good listener to clients and have that good demeanor when speaking with our clients. So I think it's good, good for them to gel with our clients as well. Um, so that's one of the first things I focus on. Um, the assistants I've hired in the past, I think only one has had any legal experience, and it wasn't in personal injury. Um, and you know, I, I feel like with our procedural lists, I can teach you what you need to know. Uh, I'm not worried about that. They're not, um, you know, they're not putting together briefs. They're not filing motions for me. Um, they're mainly kind of feet on the ground with clients, with insurance adjusters, and I can teach you how to do that. And it kind of falls in line once they buy into kind of our firm's mission and our, our goals that they see every day. You know, we're talking about a lot of soft skills here. Is this something that you're able to assess based on an initial interview or do you have any sort of like additional stages you get in before you're making a hire? Well, I usually get at least one or other two other people in my office involved in interviewing. Um, for instance, um, when I hired this last um, receptionist, um, we put applications on a couple of just, you know, your normal um, hiring websites. We would get, you know, two or three dozen um, 
uh, applications back. But what I would do in the ad is I would make it kind of long on purpose. I want people to read through it, and I would give really straightforward but simple instructions on how to apply. Like I would literally have them um, put in, uh, I, I want the subject line of your email back to read, I am your rock star. That's kind of my, my thing is I, I call my assistants my rock stars. Um, and if they don't put that in there, then I don't even open it because I know they can't follow instructions, right? So if I have 25 applications that come through, I'm pretty confident that 17 of them will be clickable because some people just won't read. And then what I'll do is I'll say, you know, in your email that you title, I am your rock star, I want you to answer these four questions. And they're easy kind of softball questions, you know, name two or three things that you're good at. Um, you know, what's a perfect day off for you? Things like that. Um, so that I can kind of get to know them a little bit, see their casual writing style, um, and also see how much they give me. Are they just giving me a one-line sentence about each thing because they're, you know, they're blazing through resumes? Or you know, are they going to sit there and actually put a little time into it and try to show personality? That's kind of what I want. Um, so you know, out of the 17, maybe 10 of those answer correctly. Then we have about a 10-minute phone call with my, one of my other assistants that calls them and interviews them. And I, I bring them to my office after that, and I say, what do you think? And she may say, well, you know, out of these ten, I really liked these four. Um, some of them I didn't click with. Some were late. Some didn't show. I said, okay, great. Bring those four into the office, and we'll do interviews. Um, and that's where, how I, I um, edit those down and uh, you know, really kind of get a feeling for who these people are. With already you know, having a little bit of a sense of who they are, before they even step in my office because they've answered questions. We've already had a, a telephone conversation, and then we kind of get to see who they are in person and um, you know, have a little bit more of a conversation rather than a question and answer period once they're here. Yeah, that's – I mean, it's – Super, super clever. Uh, that's the first time I've ever heard about actually using team members in the process to kind of assess how well they'll, they'll gel. But that's uh, that's a super good technique. So, all right, I think you mentioned <laughs> not needing to hire for a little bit, but um, you know, besides that, like you know, what's next for the firm? I mean, we've got some pretty serious growth in the last couple of years. Um, what are you planning to do next? Well, I'm probably going to be restructuring a little bit on how each per, you know each uh, team member here is going to be handling different tasks. Um, my goal is to really transfer over the beginning of the, uh, the new year to um, dealing mainly with business development, handing a lot of my cases out to my associates, and um, really try to turn that up. Um, I've got some pretty good, um, some, some new ideas for next year, um, some goals. So I think that's probably the next thing on the list. Um, I'm not planning on, on growing too much more anytime soon. My, my office is full, so there's that. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of my day is uh, directing people here in the office, too. I usually have a uh, law school intern or two also. Um, so, you know, I have an open-door policy where people can come in if my door's open, ask me questions. So that does take up a lot of my time. Um, I do want to, you know, hold on to a handful of cases at a time. Um, I could see myself possibly hiring a paralegal in maybe two or three years, um, you know, if the, the case still kind of dictates that. But right now, I think it's a good size. It's a good fit for kind of what I want to do moving into the future. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, too. A lot of people, when, when you talk about growth, it's like, you know, they have these really, and, and you know, you've had some absolutely fantastic growth in the last three years, but um, it's actually really refreshing to hear that you know uh somebody say that uh that that what they have is enough you know it's not something you hear a lot in the business mm -hmm. world sometimes but um no that's that's super awesome 
Um, now, as far as, uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, uh, to reach out? Well, my website is www.bonichilawgroup.com. That's B-O-N-N-I-C-I. And that'll probably be one of the better ways where uh, we have a presence on Facebook as well. Um, we handle um, all types of personal injury cases in Southern California, as well as Social Security disability appeals and ERISA long-term disability appeals all throughout the state of California. All right. Awesome. So yeah, if anyone's in the area and needs to reach out or uh, anything related to that, um, absolutely feel free to reach out. But um, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I think everyone else, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, it's it's a rare, uh, almost a royal flush we got here with a lot of systems, process, good hiring, and of course, the marketing that's ending up driving it. So um, definitely worth a listen that that's something that you guys are, well, definitely worth a re-listen, like I like to say. But um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Josh. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll, we'll be here next week with another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.